Thank you, ladies. We have uh, been talking during this Christmas season about some of the certainties that we can be absolutely sure of in connection with Christmas. There are myths and legends that have grown up through the years about Christmas, but we have certainties that are given to us in the Word of God. We started out talking about the certainty of a, a vanguard, a forerunner, John the Baptist, who was prophesied, and then actually we see that he did come in, in Luke chapter 1. We saw the, uh, the wonderful prophecy and the promise of a, a virgin who was going to give birth to the God-man, and that the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed an absolute certainty. It is a Reality. It is not a legend that's grown up in the church over the years or anything like that. It is also an absolute necessity. If it weren't for the virgin birth, we couldn't have a sinless Savior. And the virgin birth also involves someone who has always existed from eternity past, just becoming man. So that Jesus, who was always fully God, became, through the virgin birth, fully man. So he could go to the cross of Calvary for us. Last week we talked about... Uh, some visits that we find described in the Gospel of Luke, the visits of, of um, Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem at just the right time, getting to just the right place for the Messiah to be born. We saw the shepherds visiting uh, at the direction of the angels, visiting the, the manger there in, in the stable. We saw that the most significant visit when we think about Christmas, is God visiting us, God becoming a man. Uh, David marvels in Psalm 8 when he looks at the heavens and, and is just overwhelmed by what God has created, and he says, what is, what's man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? And indeed, God has visited us on this planet uh, in order to be our Savior, and we can thank him for that. Uh, this morning, we want to talk about the certainty of victory. Christmas describes victory. There's tremendous victory involved with the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that victory implies a battle, a struggle, a, a, a war. And indeed, as we open up the Scriptures, we find that there is a war that's going on, the, the war of the ages. And it begins with the, the matter of creation where God creates the angels as purely spirit beings without bodies uh, created them sometime prior to creating man and one of the angels uh, one of the highest ranking angels was an angel known as Lucifer and uh, he like everyone and everything else was created good however we find described in scripture that he fell uh, a couple of passages of Scripture that you ought to be familiar with in connection with any study of the devil are Ezekiel 28, verses 11 to 18, and Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. Ezekiel 28 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Uh, you were in Eden. By the way, the, the, the passage starts out addressing the king of Tyre, but there's one who stood behind the king of Tyre. That was Satan himself. Just as there's one who stood behind Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. These were men that were, were, were tremendously used by the devil. And in this passage, 
it doesn't just speak to the, the uh, king of Tyre, but it also speaks to the devil who, who stands behind him. And we know that for sure because it says in verse 13, you were in Eden. The literal king of Tyre was not in the Garden of Eden, but the devil was. He was there. Uh, you were in the Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were in the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you and have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Just what did he do? What did Satan do? We find that iniquity was found in him. Isaiah 14 describes us what happened. He says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? You who are weakened, you who waken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan was created by God. He was created good. He was created holy. He was created glorious. But we find that he tried to exalt himself above God. And because of that, he is a fallen being. Matthew 25, 41 says that the lake of fire was created and made for the, for the devil and his angels. We find that when he fell from his holy position, he continued to have great power and influence. In Revelation 12, it tells us that about a third of the angels uh, fell with him. Uh, of the huge number of angels, a third of them followed him. And for them, we find that the lake of fire has been prepared, and they'll spend eternity there. But in the meantime, the devil's not in the lake of fire. Uh, he's not in hell. Now, sometimes people come up with a picture, well, the devil rules over hell. He's in hell, and he rules that. that you know, the devil's not going to rule anything one of these days. He's certainly not going to rule in hell. He's going to be tormented in hell uh, in God's perfect time when he confines him there. But as for now, he's on the prowl. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that happened, first of all, way back in the Garden of Eden. God created the heavens and the earth. And he created man to live on the earth, to enjoy what he put in the heavens. And he created man to have dominion over the earth. But we read in Genesis chapter 3. How Satan came and tempted Eve, and, and she fell, and Adam, he was deceived and fell, and Adam followed her. And we find that Satan usurped Adam's, man's dominion over the earth. And even today, he's the prince of this earth. He's limited in what he can do, but he does have great power. He usurped the power, the dominion that God intended for man to have on this planet. 
If you go to Genesis 3, you read about the temptation with the forbidden fruit and how, how Eve was deceived and how she Adam went ahead and, and uh, chose to take the fruit that she gave to, to him. And basically, as you, you, you see the fall take place, we find that Genesis 3 describes the fact that there is a tremendous need for redemption. Man needs redeemed. He's a fallen creature. Sometimes we, when we look at what's going on in our world, we look at things that people do to other people and what they do to themselves. We say, what's wrong? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong. Man is a fallen creature. He is not uh, exactly the way that God created him. He wasn't created with a sin nature. He was created holy, but he fell. He became mortal. Uh, he became a dying being. And you and I are born dead in trespasses and sin. We have a tendency to do the wrong thing. And we are mortal. We, we are in the process of, of dying. Some of us are further down the road than others are. But, but that's where we stand. And we need a redeemer. We also need a, a, a redeemer not just for mankind but for, for creation. Do We live in a sin-cursed world. We have volcanic eruptions, we have tsunamis, we have tornadoes, we have uh, hurricanes, we have floods, we have all kinds of things like that that uh, in many places make, make life on this planet very, very difficult and make for great tragedies. This planet needs redemption. Man needs redemption. And uh, we find that good news for you, God has promised a redeemer. Uh, there's a word concerning a coming victor and redeemer. In, in that passage of Scripture in Genesis 3 that describes the fall and describes the curse, there's a wonderful verse, verse 15, where God speaks to, to Eve and to Satan, who's behind the serpent. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a promise there of one who's called the seed of the woman, which may very well be a reference to the virgin birth. Usually you think about seed, you think about man. Uh, but we find it's not the seed of a man, it's the seed of a woman. may well be a reference to the virgin birth, and it's talking about one who's going to come and crush Satan, destroy Satan, destroy this enemy of God who's a fallen creature but still allowed to move about on the earth and in creation today, he one day will be destroyed. There will be a redeemer. There'll be a redemption from the curse. We read elsewhere in Scripture by this, this same redeemer. This is the, the first gospel. This is good news. It doesn't look very good up to this point. God made a wonderful creation. He pronounced very good at the end of Genesis 1. But then man falls. He's cast out of the garden. Uh, he, he dies. God said, the day you eat that fruit, you'll surely die. And death becomes a reality. And all death flows out of that, whether it's human death or animal death or even plant death, flows out of that. And so we live in a, a dying world today that needs, desperately needs a redeemer. Good news. There is a redeemer. There's someone who can help you with your, the penalty of sin. There's someone who can help you with the power of sin in your life. You don't have to be controlled by sin. You don't have to treat other people sinfully and, and selfishly. There's a Redeemer that's going to come, as what well was told to Adam and told to Eve. But this, this wonderful prophecy, this wonderful good news for Adam, for Eve, and for us 
also serves as a warning for the devil. You're going to bruise this Redeemer's heel, but he's going to crush your head. Which would you rather do, have a sore heel or have your head crushed? I think most of us would vote for the heel. Yeah, that's bad enough, but to have your head crushed, that's destruction. And, and that's exactly what's going to happen to the devil. That's a warning that comes to him. So he has been working. This is the war of the ages that you and I are caught up in, whether you want to be or not. This is the war of the ages between Satan, the fallen angelic being who had been Lucifer, created perfect, and, and God. There's, there's a war going on. And with this promise of a redeemer, one who's going to be born to woman, seed of the woman, Satan goes about trying to prevent that from happening. He did all he could to prevent Jesus to be born into this world as the Messiah and the Savior. Uh, we, we see this, first of all, with the murder of, of Abel. Uh, we find that Eve has a great expectation when she conceives a, a son. In fact, uh, when, when, she, when Cain is born, she says in Genesis 4.1, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And I believe that Eve probably thought, this is the seed. This is the Redeemer who's going to come. He's, yeah, he'll be uh, affected by the devil. He'll have his heel broke. But, but he's going to crush Satan's head. There's going to be redemption for, for mankind. There's going to be redemption for the world. And that's, what the, I believe, some expectation she had for Cain. How'd that work out? That didn't work out so well for Cain, did it? Didn't work out so well for Abel either. She thought he might be the redeemer. Because we find it, it says that uh, in 1 John chapter 3, it even indicates that Satan worked through Cain in murdering Abel. And in that, Satan kind of killed two birds with one stone. He, he did away with Abel, who was godly. Abel couldn't be the redeemer because he was killed. Cain demonstrated his corruption in murdering his brother. By the way, Jesus, when he talked about Satan, said, you're a murderer from the beginning. He's pointing back here to Genesis 4, when Satan works through Cain to kill Abel. So that didn't work out very well, but God provided Seth, another offspring. In fact, his name means appointed one. He was a substitute for Cain and Abel. And, Eve, and Adam might well have thought, he's, he's going to be the appointed one. He'll be the redeemer. It says in verse 25 of Genesis 4, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. So we find that through Seth, he wasn't the redeemer. But through Seth, the lion was going to come from whom the Redeemer was going to be born. But, but another problem came up. Devil's still at work. You get over to Genesis chapter 6, and you find in Genesis chapter 6 that the world was, became so corrupt that there was virtually demonic demon control and demon possession of men. Uh, the world was so wicked that God was going to destroy all of mankind with a universal flood. But thank God, there was one who was spared, one who hadn't been affected by this. And although he was a, a sinner himself, he, he didn't get involved in the demonic stuff and satanic stuff 
And this Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God works through Noah to build an ark. And by the way, this, this coming summer in July, there's going to be a life-size replica of the ark that is going to be built down in Kentucky, just south of the Creation Museum down there. Answers in Genesis and Ken Ham have uh, been working on that. It's, it's to be opened in July. I don't remember the exact date. You can check it out online. But that would be something to see. You know, we have all kinds of misconceptions about the ark. You see some of the arks that kids get for Christmas? You know, they're a little boat like this that, you know, have a giraffe with his head sticking out. And, you know, just how in the world could you even think about a, uh, all, all the, you know, two of each kind of the animals being being put on an ark like that. Well, if you look at the, the actual description of the ark in Genesis, it's a length of about three football fields. And it's about 45 feet tall. And, and it was large enough for, for Noah and, and his wife and his three sons and their wives and for two of each kind. He didn't have to take every type of dog that there was. He could have taken just a couple of dogs, and if they had in their gene pool enough to produce the dogs that we have in our world today. Same with horses and, and cats and tigers, things such as that. But at any rate, uh, Noah's spared. Shem, Ham, and Japheth are spared. And the Messiah still has a line through which he can come. In fact, that, that messianic line ends up being through Noah and eventually through Shem. In fact, we talk about the Jewish people, we say they're what? They are Semites. That's connected with the word Shem. And, and the Messiah is going to come through, through Shem. But, but the devil keeps on working. And you move on in Genesis, and he still wants to corrupt the race to make it impossible for there to be a, a redeemer born that's going to crush his head. And so when God tells the, the people after the flood, scatter and fill the earth, he tries to get them to all stay together on the plain of Babylon. And they, they have a, a focus, a central focus that they, they get involved themselves in, and it's the building a huge tower of worship, which we call today the Tower of Babel. And, and God, once again, steps into the picture, puts a stop to that, and the languages are confused. And people spread out because they can't talk to each other, you know. And, and we just tend to kind of congregate with people we can we can understand. You know, if you're trying to talk to somebody and you can't tell what they're saying, they can't tell what you're saying. That can be a very frustrating thing, right? So we tend to to move out, and the people moved out, and, and the the ancestors of a fellow by the name of Abraham moved down to the area of Ur near the Persian Gulf, Ur of the Chaldees, and and uh, eventually, God, in Genesis chapter 12, calls Abraham. He said, of all these families of the earth, Abraham, I'm going to work through you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you all kinds of descendants. And I'm going to bless you and bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And Abraham, I'm going to give you one special descendant, one special seed. And through this special descendant, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Guess who that seed was going to be? We call him Jesus. You're going, to, you're going to have this descendant, this one. And so we find that the rest of the Old Testament has to do with God working through the, the family of Abraham, producing the nation of, of Israel. 
and we find that Christ was going to come through the line of Abraham, come through the nation of Israel. But once again, Satan, he doesn't want this to happen. So he's at war, and he, he's at war with Israel. He wants to eliminate the Jews and to eliminate this Messiah. In, in, Hebrew, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, we read about a war that he has against Israel and against the Messiah who would come from Israel. It says his tail, he's described as a terrible dragon here, and symbolically, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That's the angels that fell with him. And the dragon stood before the woman. The woman is the nation of Israel, who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule the nations. Who's the male child that was born? That's going to rule all the nations. Jesus. Talk about Christ here. And it says that he, he's ready to, she bore this male child, was ready to rule all the nation with a rod of, of, of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And that's where Jesus is right now. We find prophecy mixed in here, and we see some of it that's been fulfilled already, some of it yet to be fulfilled. But the big thing to notice from this passage right now is the fact that the devil is at war with Israel, and the devil is at war with the Messiah that was to come through Israel. It was his intention to destroy Israel, destroy the Messiah, make it impossible for the Messiah to come to earth and to be a redeemer. And we find that he launches really a two-pronged attack against Israel. First of all, there are attacks from without, from the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the, the Philistines, other nations that, that, that came against them. Uh, when we think of Pharaoh's order to kill the male children there in Egypt. All the Israelite male children, were, were, as soon as they were born, they were, to, they were to be killed. What was that about? That's trying to keep the Redeemer from ever coming. That's part of it, Satan working through Pharaoh. We find that uh, Satan also would work and uh, produce uh, internal influences that would lead Israel into moral corruption and into apostasy hoping that no, no Redeemer could be born into the world that would, would not be corrupt and apostate and defiled by sin himself. We find that, uh, you know, that this, this war against Israel is still going on. You know, there have been nations that have, have cursed Israel, they've been cursed themselves, and there are nations that are standing against Israel today, and, and eventually they'll be cursed. Uh, it's still going on. The devil's still working against Israel still working against the Messiah, even though he's already been here once, uh, to accomplish what he needed to, and working against his people as well. We find that uh, there was also one occasion when the line of, of David was just about wiped out. There was a, a queen by the name of Athaliah, and in, in 2 Chronicles 22, it says, Now when Athaliah, the mother of Azariah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. That's a serious problem. What's Jesus going to come from? He's going to come from the house of Judah, from the line of David, and she's trying to wipe that out. Wow, what's going to happen here? But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. 
And so Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. And eventually she dies, and Joash, or Jehoash, ends up coming to the throne at the age of seven years. But the devil's trying to wipe out the line through which the Redeemer's going to come. But God steps into the picture with a lady by the name of Jehoshaphat. And the line is preserved. You read on a little further in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. And you read about a guy by the name of Haman. And what did Haman want to do? Haman wanted to wipe out all the Jews. He wanted to produce a genocide, get rid of all the Jews. The Persian king was in control at that time, and Haman was one of his right-hand men. But what God, what's God do? God turns the tables. He's got Queen Esther right there, already prepared to step into the picture and identify Haman as one who was really an enemy of God, an enemy of the king. And Haman ends up getting hung on his own gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, for Mordecai Esther's uncle. And the Jews are also saved. They're allowed to defend themselves and the messianic line, the line of the redeemer, is preserved once again. You see the battle? You get the idea? There's been a battle that's been going on uh, all through the Old Testament period to try to keep the Messiah from coming, to try to keep Jesus from coming. And what took place there in Bethlehem? What took place there in Bethlehem was that God won the victory for thousands of years. The devil had been trying to prevent the birth of this one who'd be the redeemer that you need and I need and that the world needs. And what happened? He was born. He was born of a virgin. He was born at the right time. He was born in the right place that had been prophesied uh, for 700 years. God won. God won the victory. Satan tried to prevent it from happening, and he can't stop it. God wins. Aren't you glad God wins? Aren't you glad to be on his side and be on the winning side? I hate to be on a losing side in anything that I do. I certainly hate to be on the losing side when it comes to the war of the ages. It's taking place between this vile created being that one day is going to be utterly doomed and the sovereign loving God of the universe. You find out if you go over to the book of Luke or continue on with me in chapter 2, we read that uh, after this child is born in Bethlehem, his birth announced to the shepherds through the angels, the wise men are going to come and see him. But on the eighth day, he's taken up to the temple to be circumcised and so that the, the right offering could be given in connection with the birth of a firstborn. And when they're there, something amazing happens. I find there was a man by the name of Simeon. And in verse 25... We find that uh, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah. That's what the consolation of Israel is. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he would see the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. He's old now, but he's not going to die until he gets to see him. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Somehow the Holy Spirit got him to the temple at just the right time. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, 
Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This child that's born is your salvation. He's the redeemer. It's been promised since the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 and verse 15. He's the one that you prepared before the face of all people. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon said, This is the one. God works through Simeon. This is the one. He's the one that the devil's been trying to prevent from getting here for thousands of years. And, and guess what? He's here. He's here. This is the one. Now I can die in peace. The one who's the redeemer for Israel, redeemer for man, redeemer for the earth. He's arrived. He's been born. The seed of the woman is here. And then we find that an old, old lady by the name of Anna comes on the scene. In verse 36, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from virginity, only married seven years. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God and fast with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in the instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. She identifies Jesus as the Redeemer. God won. The Redeemer's here. The one who brings salvation arrived. He's, isn't Christmas great? We're celebrating God's victory. God got the Messiah here. Got the Redeemer here. But you know, even after he got here, the devil didn't quit. You know, there was one lady that one time, she, she never said anything bad about anybody. Any time she ever spoke about it, it was always positive. And somebody said to her one day, I'll bet there's, there's one person you can't say something good about. Well, who is that? They said, the devil. I said, well, he sure is persistent. You know? And he, he persisted. Because even after Jesus is born, he works through evil King Herod, and what's he do? He gets a wicked decree passed. Every male child born in Bethlehem, two years of age and below, shall be killed. But what happened? God got Joseph and Mary and Jesus out of there and to Egypt so he'd be protected. Later on, we find that when, when Jesus is ready to begin his ministry, First thing that happens is Satan tries to corrupt him. That's what the temptation in the wilderness was all about. Trying to corrupt him so he couldn't be an acceptable redeemer. He had to be sinless. And he tried to get him to sin. Thank God he did. Aren't you glad Jesus passed the temptation? Every single one of them. Later on, Jesus preaches his first sermon. And he identifies himself as the one who fulfilled Isaiah's prophecies of the coming Messiah and because of that, he goes out of the, the, the synagogue, and they want to shove him off a hill and kill him. But interesting description says he just kind of passed through the crowd. His time had not yet come. Eventually, Satan, we're told in John 13, came and dwelt within Judas. 
And then what did Judas do? He went out and betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the crucifixion. You think Satan was involved in the crucifixion? Yeah, it was my sins that put Jesus there, but Satan is trying to destroy the Messiah, trying to destroy the Redeemer. He's involved in the crucifixion. But here we go again. Satan does his worst. And we find that in the wonder of all things, God wins again. Because the crucifixion was part of God's plan of redemption for you and me from before the foundation of the world because we needed someone to die for our sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And the devil's playing right into God's hand, even through the crucifixion. And if the devil thought that he had destroyed Christ, destroyed the Redeemer, what happened on the third day after the crucifixion? He rose again. The stone couldn't stop it. The Roman guard couldn't stop it. The seal on the tomb couldn't stop it. Death couldn't stop it. Jesus Christ rose again to a glorified resurrection body. And you know what? He still lives today. He rose again. 40 days after showing himself for 40 days that he really was alive, proving the resurrection to eyewitnesses of whose records we still have in written form today. After 40 days of that, he ascended through the prince of the powers of the air, ascended right through Satan's realm, went back to the, the, the throne in glory, and that's where Jesus sits today, ever living to make intercession for you and me. And one of these days, what's going to happen? Can you help me out here? He's coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming in victory. He's not coming to die for our sin. That's already been done. He doesn't have to do that again. He's coming in victory to set up his kingdom on this planet. What a glorious thing that will be when he does that. And at that time, we find that Satan's going to be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 19, Revelation chapter 20. He'll be cast into the pit for a thousand years, released for a short time, just to bring the wickedness of men out into the open. He'll lead a great rebellion. And then in Revelation chapter 20, it describes how the devil will be cast into that lake of fire. How long? Forever and ever and ever. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a loser. And who's the one that consigns him there? It's God, the victory. You see, Christmas is about victory. Satan's doom is sealed. He rose in victory. He ascended in hope, coming back again. And one of these days, he is returning in glory. And oh, how thankful we can be about that. Truth of the matter is, we talk about victory. Jesus was born. Jesus uh, rose and died. He died. He rose again. He ascended back to glory. And Jesus is coming again. And if you know him, you're excited about that, aren't you? To be able to share in that great victory. Because this vic victory belongs to God and to the people of God. And I hope that describes each of us here this morning. If you're here and you're not sure that Christ is your Savior, you need to make sure of that. That's the only way you can share in the victory is through knowing Christ as your Savior for sure. And we find that, that God overcame all Satan's attempts to keep him from 
carrying out the glorious work of redemption. He overcame all that Satan tried to do in keeping the Messiah from coming. And through Jesus, God will win the victory over all Satan's efforts to harm and destroy us as the people of God. And oh, how thankful we can be. You know, only if we know Christ do we enjoy this great victory. One of the things that Satan does now is he blinds people, tries to keep them from trusting Christ. That's why if Christians are called in 1 John overcomers. You know, in order to become a Christian, you're to put your faith in Christ. You had to overcome the blinding of the devil, and the Holy Spirit helps you to do that. You're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. Praise God for it, and thank God that you have the opportunity to share. But I know some of you are probably thinking, well, you know what? Sometimes we don't feel like we're winners, do we? Sometimes we don't feel like we've won the victory. Good news. We fight battles here, but the war's already won. We know Christ, we're on the winning side. So, so keep fighting those battles, but fight on the right side. Fight on God's side. Obey Him. Follow Him. Lord, thank you for the victory that we could consider this morning concerning what took place at Christmas. Lord, we are amazed that uh, you have been so patient, and we worship you for your power and your majesty. Lord, I pray that you would help us to appreciate the victory that's been won. If there's anybody here today that's never trusted Christ, I pray they might even put their faith in him this morning and become part of the, the winning side, become part of your family, become one of your children. They need to repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ. I pray you'd help them to do that even now through the working of your Holy Spirit. Win the, vic win the victory, Lord. Win the battle for their souls by bringing them to yourself. And for each Christian that's here, God, help us to appreciate the victory that we have. Bad things happen in our lives, but you do work all things, even bad things, together for good to those that... that know you, love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Thank you for the way we can see your purposes work out, even in the coming of Jesus. We give you praise and glory for it and for him. In his name we pray. Amen. We got reason to rejoice this morning. Let's